Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 71 called Ashley. Okay guys, before we get started, I just wanted to tell you in case you're feeling alone on your infertility journey or whatever you're going through, I would urge you to check out Fertility Rally, which is the membership site that Blair from Fab Fertility and I launched on June 1st. It's been going amazing. It's a community, it's a content hub. We have tons of virtual events. We have a weekly support group every Wednesday and we have a free seven day trial. So if you are looking for people to rally around you and lift you up, check it out. It's at fertilityrally.com and email me or DM me if you have any questions. We would love to rally with you. Okay guys, so today I am talking to Ashley who is a single mom by choice introduced to me by our mutual friend, Jill Benjamin. Hey, Jill. And today, Ashley is going to tell me all about building her modern family in the way that she wanted to build it. So Ashley wanted to share her story to shatter any stigmas about single parenthood by choice. And just because she's a very open person and she wanted to inspire and help people. So she's going to tell us about how she felt like a self-described unicorn at the fertility clinic because she came in as a different type of patient. And she's gonna tell us all about the process of choosing a sperm donor, her IUI, and what happened after that. So she's open, she's honest. I'm so glad I met her, and I'm really glad that we're sharing yet another story and yet another example of somebody creating a family the way that they wanna create it. So without further ado, this is Ashley's infertility story. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for doing this today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I know you have a really interesting story and I'm just going to let you get to it. So you're a single mom by choice. So tell me about your life. Yes. So I'm a single mom of a 10 year old boy and it definitely is a path that I never anticipated taking. And I love to share my story mostly because I feel like it is a little bit unique and potentially there is stigma about it. But once I tell my story to friends and friends of friends, I always find that the feedback is phenomenal and there's always someone else that someone wants me to talk with. So My journey started, I was married and divorced in my 20s, and I always thought that I would meet another man, get married, have a kid, and the very traditional route that most people follow. Unfortunately, that just isn't the plan that happened for me. So I was visiting two college friends. One had just had twin boys after five years of fertility treatments, and it was a very long road for them to get the twins. And I had another friend who was going through a very difficult time in her life within her marriage. And the three of us had gotten together to celebrate the twins And as we were talking late one night, my friends were each telling their stories. And I realized that my story was just on pause. My whole life seemed to just be kind of in a pause mode. And I was expressing that to my friends. And the one who had had the twins said, well, you always said you were going to have a baby by yourself. 
if you hadn't had a baby by 35? And I said, yeah, but that's like now. And that just seems crazy. Like who would have a baby by themselves? That just doesn't seem like something like anyone would do. And both my friends immediately were like, if anyone can do it, first of all, it's you. But also, you don't know what's going to happen. So my friend was like, just go to the fertility doctor because it took me five years and I had an idea. She's like, you're banking on this life, assuming that you're going to have no problem having children. And, you know, you never know. So she really encouraged me to go to the doctor. So I immediately made an appointment to see a fertility doctor, really thinking like, I just want to know someday, can I have a baby? Mm -hmm. And when I met with the doctor, I had a fabulous doctor. And when I walked in and explained to her what I wanted to do, she walked me through the science of having a baby by yourself. Uh, And they do some tests to, you know, kind of see where your body is and all of that. And it was a really interesting process because at no point in the dialogue did they ask me if financially I could afford a baby on my own, but I am a very detailed person. So of course I had already run the numbers and figured out that yes, I probably could manage this on my own. They also didn't ask me anything about like the mental stability and mentally being able to handle this and the emotional side of it. It was all science. Wow. So they didn't really vet you at all, right? Not at all. I mean, that must have felt kind of surprising. It was, it was really surprising. In fact, I called my friend afterwards and I was like, oh my God, they like, they'll put a baby in anyone. And she had said to me, she goes, well, they're the science. Their job is to make humans, not to vet whether or not you would be viable to have the baby after. Which They're not on the emotional side, right? Right. And it's the same in life, right? Like people have sex and then they have babies. And a lot of people have babies when they shouldn't be having babies or before they're ready financially or whatnot. And that's each person's own path and own story. But for me, I think it was a little bit easier in the process that it was all science-based because I didn't really think about I mean, I obviously had thought a lot before I walked in the door what I was doing, mm-hmm. but in the, it's not like I questioned it at every time I went to the doctor because right. it was so scientific. So then, of course, the side of me that loves to learn, I was very intrigued with it. Uh-huh. So, so what, were your, what were the resources that you were using to learn about it? Just through talking to the doctor and understanding like how they were going to make this happen, I ended up being a little bit of what... I self-described as a unicorn at the fertility clinic because Mm -hmm. every time I would go in for a test or any appointments and they would look at my uterus and everything on the inside, they would always say, oh, such a beautiful uterus, such a great shape, all these things that I would always laugh to the Mm -hmm. nurse and I would say, oh, I'm fine. I just don't have a man. Right. Here as a different type of patient, I'm here to you to give me the man part. Mm -hmm. My body, I knew would be fine making a baby after my first appointment with them, but they definitely deal with a lot of women who struggle. Therefore, I didn't look like the other women that had walked in. Right. I didn't get the feeling they had a lot of women like me come in or that the nurses had interacted with. Because every time I said that, they were like, oh, what? It's like they, they got to know women. They didn't get to know men. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. 
So the other interesting portion of this was as a single woman who had only communicated with two friends that I was going to go through this process, I had no idea how to choose a sperm donor. Right. I knew I wanted it to be confidential. I didn't want that person to have a relationship with me or anything like that. And I don't, I honestly don't know why I made those choices at the time, but it was very firm in my mind because they ask you like, do you want this confidential or do you want to go where you could potentially meet this person later in life? So immediately I went down the confidential route. Okay. Why do you, why did you go that route? I don't know at the time. I think, I mean, I just thought I'm doing it by myself. I think I had some crazy thoughts in my head, like maybe this person would come back and want to take my child from me. And if I was going to go through this process with doing it by myself, I, I wanted the end to be by myself. Right. Okay. I don't think that is the case in that situation, but I didn't do any research on the open sperm donor. Mm -hmm. I only went with the, I think they call it closed. It's been 10 years, so I don't remember all the terminology. Right, right. So what was, what was the exact process at that point? Because I know it has changed a lot in the last decade. Were you looking online? Was there like, I talked to a single mother by choice in my first season and she there was like an actual book, like a booklet that she looked through? Yeah, so they gave me the option. There was a book, which was really funny because it was like, you're going to go through almost like trading cards, <laughs> like which team right. member? going to choose. I ended up going with the online choice. There was two sources at the time. One was based, I think, in Virginia and one was based in Southern California, literally like blocks away from my house at the time. And the process I went through is I had some basics that I wanted. Some made sense and some were a little bit odd. So my basics were I wanted them to be college educated. I wanted them to be a certain height and weight. But then I also wanted them to have 20-20 vision because I have bad vision. Mm. I wanted them to have no allergies because I have allergies. Thinking like the balance of that would create a better baby. Right. Uh, and then once you kind of put in your different qualifications, I didn't have as many choices as I would have anticipated. Mm. I think in one service, I had maybe three to five choices. And then another service, I had maybe seven choices. Oh, also I wanted someone who had the same background as me from an ethnicity standpoint. Okay. Did that surprise you that the choices were so limited? Did you think you would get like hundreds? I did. I don't know why. I don't know a lot of men who have participated in providing their sperm to clinics, but for some reason I thought this would be a much deeper list of people. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So then at that point, I kind of came to a standstill of like, okay, well, these all meet my qualifications and now what do I do? So I was talking to my friends. I ended up buying, um, you can buy their baby photos because it's confidential. They won't give you photos of them as an adult, but the photos are between six months old and four years old. So there's one or two photos. Mm -hmm. And so I basically was choosing a dad or dad's not the right word, Mm -hmm. um, a sperm donor based on what they looked like as a small child. Right. That's bizarre, right? (laughs) Bizarre. So of course I was like, well, this kid's super cute, but this kid's not as cute. So I, I 
got it down to three people. And I used, I think we ended up with the clinic in Virginia right after actually funny little side story, right after I made this choice and got pregnant, the LA based clinic started doing advertising of lookalikes. Like this donor looks closest to Brad Pitt or this one looks closer to Bradley Cooper, which I thought was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you don't necessarily know what they look like as an adult. You only have these baby pictures. Mm-hmm. You also can buy their audio. Right. Okay. Did which you I do didn't that too? Audio, because I felt like that didn't matter to me. I just thought that was an interesting option that right. I could have purchased. So I got down to these three and the clinic I used did a staff impressions. So the nurses would fill out a card and then they would basically put all the thoughts together in about five sentences to describe this donor. So it would be like, he's tall, he walks with authority, he's very kind to everyone he meets, he has a big smile, whatever it was that was their first impression of him. So So interesting. It's really interesting. So I sent, I had the first impressions and I had the three baby photos and I jokingly, but yet kind of seriously, sent it to my friends and said, is it wrong to choose the hot one? (laughs) Because one of the descriptions were, he's a head turner. Everyone looks when he walks by. He's very attractive. Yeah. Immediately, my friends were like, no, that's the one you choose. Yeah. I would want the Brad Pitt one 100%. (laughs) (laughs) So then I was like, well, I guess that's the whole point. If you're making a baby by just buying the sperm... (laughs) going to choose the best aspects, just like I chose height and weight and brains. Why wouldn't I choose the hot one? (laughs) Right. I get it. That makes total sense to me. So I said, yes, clicked away, purchased some vials of sperm, which was all very odd to me. It gets shipped off to the clinic. You wait for your time when the clinic says to come back in. So I went in and I did IUI, which I like to say is turkey baster. They just Mm -hmm. shoot it on up there. Glorified turkey baster. Right. It's a very odd feeling as you're sitting in this room and they put it in and they say, all right, lay here for 15 minutes and then you can get dressed and go. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, like most people have sex to do this. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a different experience. I'm just going to lie here and just kind of think about what could happen. Right. Did you, if you don't mind backing up just a little bit, you had said earlier that your friend said, like, if anybody was going to do this, it would be you. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and why, why they said that? And like, what kind of person you are that, you know, this obviously isn't the road that I think everybody would be like strong enough to go down, you know? Mm -hmm. I, it's interesting because I'm now on the other side of it. And I think a lot of people could do this that maybe don't think they could. I think for me, I'm a planner. I'm very thoughtful. I think out things. I don't just make decisions and go with it. I had done the spreadsheet on how much money I made and how much a child would cost. I can't remember, but I'm sure at the time I did some research of like how much does diapers cost and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I also knew, even though I hadn't shared with my family that I was going through the process, they knew that I had always thought this, 
I knew that they ultimately would be supportive. I wasn't worried about that. If anything really went wrong, I knew they would be there for me. And I think the reason why they said it is because I've always kind of delivered on what I said I would do. And because I'm a planner and a leader and a take charge person, they were like, oh yeah, you've got this. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is once I got pregnant, I was miserable. I hated being pregnant. And I had this romantic notion that if you have a baby by yourself and you want it as badly as I did, and you're going to do this all alone, that it was going to be magical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That somehow I'd be the one that only gained 22 pounds, was cute as could be, and everything would be easy. Right. It doesn't matter what road you take to getting pregnant. The pregnancy is its own beast. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to have a perfect pregnancy just because you're doing it on your own. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. So was it just backtracking a little bit again? Did that first IUI work? So, yeah. So I had the IUI, went home for, you know, lived my life for two weeks and then, you know, pee on the stick at two weeks and it was negative. So I have, I had, and I still have a small dog who was like my confidant throughout this. So immediately I, you know, get back in bed on a work day and I snuggle her and I said, oh, it didn't work. We're not having a baby this time. You know, we'll see what happens. And then I immediately called the clinic because I hadn't done this before. And they said, great, call us when you get your period. So Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. So off to work I go. Were you bummed Uh, out though? Or were you like, well, we'll just try again? I think I just didn't know what to expect. They asked me if I wanted to try again and I immediately said yes. I think I just didn't have time to think about I definitely was upset, but it wasn't like a lingering upset. It just sort of was like, yeah, I guess it doesn't work the first time, of course. Okay. And off I went to work. So, but then at work, I was going into a really busy week at work that I was up to and at work early and had dinners at night. And so I hadn't really thought about getting my period. And it was literally a week later and I'm never late. I was like, hmm, this is really weird that I haven't gotten my period. Mm -hmm. And of course, because I don't really think about these things, I'm like, is this because I had an IUI and now my period's going to come later than normal? Right. Maybe it threw off your cycle. I just had no idea. And I was like, well, I did get two sticks when I bought the pregnancy test. So we'll just try another one. So I peed on it literally a week later and it was positive. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wait. What? Is that even possible? Like you're not pregnant, but now you are pregnant? Wow. I called the clinic again and they were like, come on in, we'll do a blood test and we'll confirm. So of course, I don't think I could go that day. I think I had to wait a day or two, which I was dying because I was like, now, like, am I or am I not? Right. So then I went to the clinic and they tested it and sure enough, I was pregnant. So I had asked them at the time, I was like, why wasn't I pregnant last week? But now this week I am. And so they explained, which probably a lot of people listening probably already know this, but the speed of which the sperm travels to meet the egg is very different in different people's bodies. I was convinced in the moment because I had read online that sperm that meet the egg that that go slow make girls. So I was like, yep, I'm having a girl. This is it. As a woman, I thought my life would be great if I had a little mini me. Looking back, 
I obviously had a boy uh, and I think having the boy was absolutely right for me, which I'll explain a little bit later. But so I was convinced I was having a girl. So then now I'm going like once or twice a week to the fertility clinic all up until eight weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And this is when like every time I went in, they were like, oh, wow, it looks amazing, everything. And I just had to remind every nurse, no, 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 it's all good. I just didn't have a man. Right. Interesting. I buy the sperm. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really remember that process now. I guess I've kind of blanked it out because I had to go to the doctor a lot, but it was all very normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at eight weeks, I graduated to a general doctor and I no longer went to the fertility clinic. Right. So it sounds like it wasn't as traumatic an experience as, you know, a lot of people that are in that situation. No. And I didn't realize again, what a unicorn I was. I didn't realize that getting pregnant that first time, even at the, I was 36, that that was crazy town that you would get, or no, I guess I was 35 when I got pregnant, that you would actually get pregnant the first time an Mm -hmm. IUI, even not having any challenges with your own body. I wanted to have a second child when I was 40 and I tried IUI. I did five months, five rounds, never got pregnant. And on the sixth round, I decided that I would try a round of IVF. Mm -hmm. And I did all of that, the shots, the medicine, everything. And at the end of that process, my body had produced no additional eggs than it had the month before. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I also was changing jobs and there was a lot of changes in my life. And I just thought, you know what? I think I'm supposed to only have one. It took me about three days to really like think about it Mm -hmm. and really say like, I I really believe I'm supposed to be a mother to an only child and to a boy. Mm -hmm. And I just got to a really happy Zen place about having just one child. And I will say, I've never looked back. I've never regretted that decision. I was able to take my child to Europe when he was six years old Mm -hmm. and he's very sporty and we do a lot of sporting events. And I feel like, and everyone's choice is different, but for me, I would be dragging a second child along to all of my first child's things. Mm, Interesting, yeah. I would really struggle with the idea of, that second child and making that a life for that child as a single mother. Yeah. I think logistically too, it would be hard being at, you know, this sporting event and this sporting event or this recital or this lesson or this class, you know, it's, you know, even with two parents, my husband and I, we still are juggling it and we need additional help. So. Right. Yeah. My sister has three kids and if they all do one activity, she's still at three different places. Right. And there's only two of them. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just something I decided in that moment that I just thought, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to take that on. This is, this is enough for me. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I would love to hear about, you know, the pregnant, the rest of your pregnancy and then the early days of, you know, having an infant. Did you have a lot of help? You know, what was it like when you brought him home from the hospital and the nighttime feedings and all that? So the pregnancy I had mentioned before, I thought it was going to be beautiful and I would glow and I would just be so happy. So I was sick for the first 13 weeks, not so sick that I couldn't get out of bed, but like putting a toothbrush in my mouth would make me vomit. 
And then the next phase, starving all the time. So I ate a ton the first 13 weeks because bread was the only thing that didn't make me feel sick to my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I literally ate bread all day long. I gained 10 pounds in one month. Okay. My doctor told me, you need to slow down on the food. (laughs) And I looked at her and thought, there's no way I can slow down. Like I'm barely surviving here. And also I hadn't told anyone I was pregnant. So I'm also hiding it. Mm -hmm. I was in, I'm a small person. Mm -hmm. I am not, I'm five, five and I weigh 120. Mm -hmm. So the idea of gaining 10 pounds in a month for me, like I didn't care about the weight. It was survival mode. Right. I just felt so sick and then I was hiding it. So at 12 weeks, I was in full maternity clothes and yet not yet sharing that I was pregnant. Okay. So when did you finally tell everybody? So at the end of the 12th week, I was like, I got to tell people. I mean, I just look like I ate myself. <laughs> and in fact, I remember I told a good friend at work. And the other thing is no one thought I would be pregnant because I was single. Mm-hmm. So this idea of telling people I was pregnant really got a like double take. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> but a good friend of mine that I worked with, I told her and she goes, oh, I am so happy to know that. She goes, I was kind of worried about you. Mm -hmm. I looked over and thought like, wow, she really has gained some weight. Like, I hope she's healthy, (laughs) which I was really laughing about. I was like, nope, I'm growing a baby. And she knew I had thought about it. And so she's like, it's not surprising to me at all, but it just isn't what people think. You know, if you're happily married, people are like, oh yeah, she must be pregnant. If you're Mm -hmm. single, that doesn't, it's not even on someone's radar. Right. Did you get any blowback from people? You know, I didn't. I, there definitely was a lot of whispers. And I think because I am naturally very outgoing and a talker, for me, I was like, don't whisper about it. Just ask me. Mm. Like, I will share everything about this. So, But I also find that it's very traditional. There was another woman that got pregnant who was single that I worked with. And my first reaction, and this is coming from someone who had a baby by herself. My first reaction was, I didn't know she had a boyfriend. Oh, wow. Interesting. And yet I had just done it myself. Now it ends up, she didn't do it on her own. She has a different story. But I just thought like, wow, that's my first reaction. And I've actually done this on my own. That's so interesting. And I'm glad you said that. Thank you for being honest, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's just what, it's how you grow up and it's the norms that you assume, right? Even now, sometimes when I share that I had a baby by myself, I sometimes feel like it's an out-of-body experience because I, I'm so far from that person who made that decision. Now I'm just a mom of a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's such a different place than when I was going through the decision-making. I'm also lucky I live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So being coastal where things are a little more progressive, I think if I was having a baby by myself in, I don't know, Kansas City, yeah. it may not be perceived in the same way. Right. Um, I had no negative comments. Even the whispers weren't negative. They were more like, wait, does she have a boyfriend? She's not married. Did she right, curiosity. It definitely curiosity. 
So yeah, so then, oh, telling my family, that was really fun. So my nephew was turning one and we were all together. I think I was maybe 10 weeks pregnant because I wanted to tell my parents in person and they don't live in the same city as me. Mm -hmm. So I had put together uh, little gifts for my family and I knew they would have a ton of questions on the sperm donor. So I had taken all of the facts about the sperm donor and put it on an index card. Mm -hmm. And then I had put that on top of a, a onesie, a newborn onesie, and then a fabric pen. And I had put them in boxes and I'd wrapped it up and I handed one to my dad, to my mom, to my sister, and to my brother-in-law. And then- I know that you had been going through this at all, right? This was like a complete surprise? My parents did not. My sister did. And when I had told her maybe two weeks before, and when I told her, I had said, you can't tell a soul. She's like, oh my God, I have to tell my husband. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you have to be okay with me telling him because regardless, I'm telling him. (laughs) This is too big. You can't ask me to hold this secret. So I was like, okay. I was like, I get it. You can tell him. So the two of them knew. So I was really nervous in the moment to tell my parents, not because I thought they would judge me, but just because it was so permanent. (laughs) So we're all sitting around the couch, the coffee table. So I hand out the presents and I was like, oh, I have, I have an announcement um, and I want you to open these boxes. Oh, the first index card said I'm pregnant. And then when you lifted that, then it was the details. I'll open it. And my mom and dad look at each other and they look at me and they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then they look at my sister and they're like, you're pregnant. And my sister's like, nope, not me. And then they look back at me and they're like, wait, you're pregnant? <laughs> and I said, yes. And I think just like the shock and awe, I burst into tears. Uh-huh. And they were like, are you okay? Like, what? They were so confused. So I think my sister ends up explaining what happened. We talk for like 15 minutes. They seem to be happy. They leave because they're staying at a hotel. So they go to the hotel. My sister later tells me that my mom said to my sister that she cried the whole way back to the hotel and was really sad for me. Sad because she didn't, as a mother, she didn't want me to have to make that choice to do something that traditionally you do with a man that I now am doing alone. And I think she took on all of how difficult this potentially could be Mm -hmm. through her eyes. And I think through her eyes, meaning it would be difficult for her to do that all on her own, not looking at it through me and what I could handle. Right. So luckily I didn't hear that story until much later. Mm -hmm. Um, When we got back together, my parents were great. They had a bunch of questions. I had said, like, I always said I would do this if I didn't get remarried and have a man by 35. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we know that. No problem. You know, without having my mom here to actually say what she feels. Mm -hmm. I do think she still is like, this isn't the path I would choose for you. Mm. Now, ironically, you asked how it was after I gave birth. So my parents were extremely helpful. My mom came and lived with me the two weeks before I had him. And the two 
weeks after. And he came in November. So we actually, my sister lives in Northern California. And so when he was two weeks old, we drove from Northern California or from Southern California to Northern California for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad were there. My sister, my sister actually had a baby during that time. So I stayed from Thanksgiving till the middle of December at my sister's waiting for her second son to arrive. Oh, wow. That's cool. So I had a lot of help. Then I got back to Los Angeles. I think I had a day or two by myself. And then I flew, my parents live in Montana. I flew to Montana and lived with my parents for five weeks. So A, my baby was on the go from day one, which I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, My pediatrician said something to me. So I brought him home day one. And my mom was great about keeping us on a schedule. I think that really saved me. My mom made me bathe him, feed him, put him to bed at a certain time in the evening, and then she put me to bed. (laughs) So I went to bed at eight o'clock every night. And she was like, you can watch TV at two in the morning when you wake up. You can do like eat dinner, get in bed. Like, you know, he's going to sleep right now. So the first night I got home, my baby slept for six hours. What? 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. Wow. I slept the whole time. I woke up. I actually woke up before he did. I woke up in a pure panic. (laughs) I was convinced he had died in the night and Mm. that's why he didn't wake me up. Mm -hmm. I just was like, oh my God. So much so that the next morning I called my pediatrician and I was like, something's wrong. And I explained what happened. And she started laughing and she goes, oh, sweetie. She goes, no, you just have a sleeper. It's great. Like, enjoy this. Because I was like, do I wake him up? I know he's supposed to eat every three hours. I also had a big baby. I always say big fat babies are the best because they eat a lot and sleep a lot. So he was eight pounds, six ounces. Oh, wow. And he has been a sleeper since day one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really believe that if you can get a good night's sleep, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. So I never had a night nurse. My mom never woke up in the night to help me. It was he and I, and he he just knew what I needed. The pediatrician also told me that she felt like because I was alone and I was making all the decisions in the moment, there was zero stress. Interesting. Because you have nobody to like battle against or like- Yeah, he didn't feel it. If I was going to, I mean, zero to three months, I never let him cry it out. But as he got older and I sleep trained, like if I wanted to let him cry it out, there was no one there to say like, no, let's not do this or the stress. So all those decisions in the first two years, it was pretty easy Mm -hmm. because it was mine. And in fact, I had so many friends. I was in a baby group at the time and I had so many friends who were like, oh my God, your house is so lucky. Mm -hmm. Like this is the fight I had last night with my husband, or this is the stress I was feeling and I took it out on him. And totally that part I would say was absolutely a dream. Yes. I mean, I have to say, and I've said this to my husband too, sometimes when he's out of town, like on a business trip or something, and it's just me and the kids, it is a lot easier because there's nobody, I just do it my own way, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's not like we're battling. It's not like we're, what should we do? Or I want to do this. No, let's do this. It's just, you just do it. So I think that makes it. have no one to rely on. And there's a double-edged sword to that. You have no one to rely on. So I know it's always me. 
So I'm not waiting for someone else to do their part and then either being disappointed or not doing it the way I want it or not doing it on the time frame I want. Yes, um, exactly. You nailed it right there. Exactly. It's just it's it's always me. Like if the baby cries in the night, I'm the one getting up. So I think for me there that created a no stress environment and really made it easy. I actually traveled with my baby up until he was two for work. We had the company I worked for had daycare centers in the cities that I went for work. Mm -hmm. I would put them in daycare all day. And then inevitably in a city that I was going to, I was meeting with coworkers. Somebody had kids and had a babysitter. That babysitter would come to the hotel room. I had a little pack and play. Mm -hmm. The, the one baby item I cannot get rid of is this pack and play because I felt like it was such a part of our success. Oh. It was a little one that popped up. It weighed less than five pounds, so I could easily carry it. And it fit in a New York City hotel room bathroom. Whoa. That's <laughs> so I would plop him in there. A babysitter would come in. He was a dream sleeper. So, And then I would go do my work dinner and come back. So he went to like nine states before he was two years old. Oh, my God. You guys, I can tell you guys have like the greatest bond. We absolutely do. In fact, my dad always says how does he say it? He's like, he's so connected to you. Like you're like, he can't do anything without you. And I was like, I'm literally the only person he has. Mm-hmm. Like I am his person. Yeah. Now that definitely causes some problems. Now that he's 10, I do have a difficult child as the doctor has described to me. And it's funny because he's a difficult child in that as my therapist says, most children push back on the rules maybe once or twice. She's like, your child pushes back 10 times. Mm. And then as soon as things are going really well is when he's like, oh, wait, there's room for pushing back here. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go through like the battlegrounds, as I say. And this really started when he was about four Mm -hmm. and he realized he had a voice So I will say being a single mom to a very strong boy and hearing from my parents, apparently I was very similar at this (laughs) age. (laughs) Uh, So Apple did not fall far from the tree, but he definitely, my, the thing I constantly say is I'm the adult, you're the child. We are not the same. Yeah. I was just going to say, I wonder if it has anything to do with him feeling equal since you guys were in it together from day one and it was you two everywhere. It absolutely does. Yeah. And I think hindsight being 2020, maybe I would have been a little bit better about identifying our roles earlier on uh, because he definitely feels equal. I mean, down to like one night I was eating a cookie after dinner and it was a night he was not going to be having dessert. And he's like, what? Wait, why do you have a cookie? I'm like, because I'm having a cookie. I'm an adult. He's like, well, that's not fair because you said it was a no dessert night. Mm -hmm. I said, well, it's a no dessert night for you, not for me. I can have dessert whenever I want. He's like, well, that's not fair. I was like, well, you're a child and I'm an adult. That's life. But in his mind was like, if I got it, he would get it. Right. All equal. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's, it's, that's a, I have a hard time doing that as well. And not, you know, you want to be the friend and you want to be, like cool. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to discipline sometimes too with my, I have a 10 year old as well. So I get it. Yeah. A lot of it I know is age Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I would love, I mean, I love your story and I'm so glad that you shared it with us and thank you so much, but I would love to wrap it up with anything that you've learned, you know, just about being a single parent by choice, somebody that might be listening that kind of wants to go down the road or they're not sure. Do you, you know, do you have any advice or like words of wisdom or things you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the listeners? Of course. What I would say is if someone has the desire to have a baby and doesn't have someone in their life that allows them to have that baby naturally, don't think twice about it. Like I had such a passion for wanting to have kids and this is the route I chose and I would never change it. This is the greatest gift that has ever been given to me is this child and this ability to do this. I would say what I've learned over the wet, over the time is to build your network I have an amazing group of friends. I have an amazingly supportive family. I have a network of babysitters. I never said that having a baby by myself would keep me at home all the time. I still go out to dinner with friends. And I did when he was little too. I did a baby group. I did trades. I mean, I was the mom who was like, hey, do you want me to babysit your six-month-old? And then on Friday night, you'll take mine. Yeah. Most people were not doing, but when you meet other moms, a door opens and people just want to support one another. Being a parent is really hard. I don't care what path you take to getting there. It's difficult. And so, but it's also the greatest joy. So having a network of friends, of sitters, of family, I live in a city where I don't have family. So I don't have the ability to say, Hey mom, can you come and get this or do this? But I do have friends and I also have babysitters who I call and say, hey, I need help here. So I would say building your village is so helpful and it doesn't have to be the traditional village of family. It can be however you define it. And then I would say there's never a right time to have a baby, kind of like there's never a right time to buy a house or you never have enough money, you never have enough time. But if it ultimately is what you want to do, it will work. Mm-hmm. It absolutely will work. I, I've had difficult moments, but nothing that would ever say I wouldn't do this again. It really is the greatest joy of my life. Hey again, guys. I can't thank you enough for listening and for the great comments and feedback we've been getting lately on the podcast and on Fertility Rally. If you haven't yet and you have a minute, I would love it. It would mean the world to me. If you could go over to Apple and rate and review this podcast, it really helps with the algorithm and it helps us get noticed and helps me be able to continue doing this. So thanks again for your support. Thank you for listening. And I will see you guys again next time.